When we go out to eat, we never agree on where to go. I want burgers! Pizza! Tacos it is. The one thing we do agree on is we all want unlimited high-speed data. That's why we switch to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four lines with unlimited LTE data for just $100, period. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Offers require reporting of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network. During congestion, the fraction of customers using more than 35 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds. Video streams up to 40p. No tethering. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Douglas Knoll. He is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker specializing in difficult, complex, and intractable conflicts. A lawyer turned peacemaker, Douglas is a fellow of the International Academy of Mediators, and he is also on the American Arbitration Association panel of mediators and arbitrators. Douglas is the author of the award-winning book, Elusive Peace, How Modern Diplomatic Strategies Could Better Resolve World Conflicts. He has been listed as one of the best lawyers in America since 2005 by U.S. News and World Report. Douglas is a Northern California super lawyer and is one of the 193 mediators worldwide selected for inclusion in the international who's who of commercial mediators. He was honored as California Lawyer Magazine Attorney of the Year in 2012 and is a Purpose Prize Fellow. Douglas is also the co-founder of the Prison of Peace Project. Douglas and I will be having a conversation about his latest highly anticipated book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Good morning, Doc. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Johnny, and it's great to be here to talk about de-escalation, my favorite topic. Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. De-Escalate is a powerful book, very well written and with concise application of practical skills for better living in all areas of our life. So congratulations, sir. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's get started with getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. <laughs> okay. I, I, was bo- I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, I'm a native Californian. And uh, after I graduated from high school, I went back east to college, uh, to Dartmouth College. And after college, uh, I came back out, and a year after graduating from college, I entered law school in 19, that would have been 1974, and did well in law school, was on the law review, all that sort of thing, graduated, and um, in those days, if you did well in law school, you typically worked for a judge for a year. It was sort of an apprenticeship, and so I had the opportunity offers to work in San Francisco, Los Angeles, or in Central California in Fresno. And I elected to move down to Fresno because I love being near the mountains. I'm an outdoor person. So I worked for an appellate judge for a year. And then in 19, uh, let's see, that would have been 77 to 78. In 1978, uh, in September of 78, I was employed, uh, became employed by a law firm as a young associate. 
And there, the goal of the law firm was to groom me to be a big-time trial lawyer. And that's exactly what happened because two, six weeks after I joined the firm, I tried my first jury trial. And about a month after that, I was finding myself uh, working on a trial in San Diego, California, which went for seven months, which in those days was unheard of, where we were defending a $36 million securities fraud case, uh, which we won. And that's how my trial career uh, started. And so for, for the next 22 years, I was a trial dog and tried all kinds of cases all over the country, um, eventually migrated more of my practice to federal court, where I found that judges were, were didn't tend to punish good lawyering like they do, like they did in state court. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's how it started. And then along the way, in the 80s, I took up the martial arts and eventually earned my second degree black belt in a northern Chinese kung fu, very vicious street fighting form. And after I got my second degree, my teacher called me into his office and said, you're done. I'm not teaching you anymore. You're arrogant. You're violent. (laughs) Not violent, but you have potential for violence. You are a lawyer, kick-ass trial lawyer. You know, Mm -hmm. for you, a fair fight is five guys with knives and you unarmed. You're dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I can't teach you anymore because... I mean, you're just a keg of dynamite waiting to go off. So what you're going to do is go master Tai Chi. And when you master Tai Chi, come back and I'll teach you some more. Well, that was a death sentence because you never master Tai Chi. <laughs> but I did. I studied, started to study Tai Chi. And Tai Chi is interesting in many ways. But the thing that was most interesting and most transformative for me was that it has two paradoxes. The first is in Tai Chi, the softer you are, the stronger you are. Mm-hmm. And the second paradox is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. So it's soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Did not compute. <laughs> did not. <laughs> I did, totally did not get that. But I kept practicing. I kept practicing, and I, you know, I, so I learned the forms. I learned the the Yang long form and started mm-hmm. doing push hands and all, you know, all of sword, some sword forms and. Got into actually got into healing, learned to be a healer, and and um, eventually one day I was in the courtroom, and I the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? Mm-hmm. And so after that trial, I took off on a river trip up in Idaho, and I spent the week thinking about how many people I served as a trial lawyer, and actually as I thought about it, up till that point in my career, which was in the mid nineties. Um, I had only really, I felt that I had only really served five people out of all the hundreds of clients and hundreds of matters that I'd worked on. So I thought that, uh, 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 this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. So I came back, I came back, live in the, I live in the mountains towards Yosemite National Park. And I was coming down out of the mountains one day to my office and I heard a public service announcement for a new master's degree program in peacemaking mm-hmm. and conflict studies. Well, that's kind of interesting. What's that about? Well, it was being offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is the West Coast Mennonite University. And and the Mennonites are one of the three traditional Protestant peace churches. Mm -hmm. They are are known as peacemakers. So I made inquiry and ultimately enrolled. And so in the mid-1990s, I was a full-time master's degree graduate student, a um, full-time trial lawyer, and a three-quarters time law professor. So I was a little busy, kind of crazy. Um, but what I learned in my graduate studies, uh, my peacemaking studies turned my head around it. Everything that was missing in the law to me was, it was now so obvious. It was so Mm -hmm. obvious that the law had really lost its moorings in terms of 
how we really help people solve conflicts because the law objectified everything and 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 put and stripped away all the emotions and it all became about legal principles and that's not to say that the rule of law isn't critically important and that our court system right. and the way we deal with things aren't critical but 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 the law is really well suited for dealing with certain kinds of conflicts and not well suited for de- dealing with all kinds of other conflicts but it's the only formal system of dispute resolution that we have and so many many people are bringing their conflicts to the legal system and the legal system is not really able to respond to those in a in an effective holistic way that's what i was beginning to understand and now i was learning about why that is and the whole peacemaking curriculum mm-hmm. opened my eyes to all kinds of other possibilities so I took up the idea of opening a peacemaking practice within my law firm, and half my partners thought it was a great idea, and the other half thought I was crazy as a loon. <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately, uh, it came down to a kind of a showdown, and I said I quit. And so I left with no doubt, less than just a week's notice. I, I, left, I left behind a 22-year law, 22-year successful trial career, left $10 million on the table in the firm more than I'd taken. I just walked away from it all and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And on November 1st, 2000, I opened up my peacemaking and mediation practice and never looked back. And since that time, I have, I on average, helped more people in a week than I helped in years as a trial lawyer and have been able to do some really remarkable and powerful things with my life that I could have never done as a trial lawyer. And I don't make the kind of money and I don't make anywhere near the kind of money that I made mm-hmm. as a trial lawyer. But the, but the satisfaction that I have and the quality of my life is just immeasurably more more satisfying um, and more powerful than I could have ever imagined. So that took me to 2009 <laughs> when I got a call from a friend of mine, a colleague of mine in Los Angeles, Laurel Coffer, who said, you got a second? I said, yeah. So she reads me this letter, and it is written by a woman who's serving a life sentence without possibility of parole in the large, in what was then the largest, most violent women's prison in the world. Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California. And uh, this woman, Susan Rousseau, was asking the world to come in and teach the lifers in the prison, the women who were serving life sentences, to to be mediators so they could stop the violence. And Laurel read this to me and said, what do you think? And I thought about it. I said, you know, if this is for real, I think we should do it. So mm-hmm. we spent the next six months learning about pr- prison bureaucracy and finally got the go-ahead in February to try it. And in April 2010, started training our first 15 women. And that was the beginning of the Prison of Peace Project. And today we're in 11 California prisons. We're in four prisons in Greece. And in 2018, we're going to be in Connecticut, probably Australia, New Zealand, Louisiana, maybe New York and New Hampshire, and maybe North Carolina. It's amazing. That's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. That's really terrific. So, so... So what happened was we built a curriculum, and I had been teaching a foundational listening skill that I had stumbled across, that I had discovered uh, just by happenstance in 2004. And we decided that we needed to teach these inmates uh, who are dealing with potentially very violent situations how to de-escalate other inmates quickly and effectively in order to get Mm -hmm. into the problem solving. So that's how we began to (coughs) – we took the skills that I had been developing and teaching (coughs) – and put them in as the foundational skill of our curriculum. And so we started teaching it. And we saw amazing results. And inmates started coming up to me and saying, if I had learned these skills 20 years ago, um, I wouldn't be in prison right now. And finally enough men and women came to me saying that 
telling me this, <laughs> saying, when are you going to write a book about this? Then I, yeah. I finally said, all right, all right, all right, I got it. Okay, let me, um, the light bulb, mm-hmm. my little dim 50-watt light bulb brain lights up and <laughs> says, okay, let's write a book. So um, I wrote the book, Deescalate, which uh, mm-hmm. was released in September of 2017. And um, it basically outlines the foundational skill that we've been teaching in Prison of Peace since uh, 2010 and that I've been teaching since about 2006, um, teaching people mm-hmm. how to de-escalate e- arguments and strong emotions quickly and effectively. No BS. It works every time. As long as you follow the rules, it works every single right. time because it works on how our brains are hardwired. Right. So that's that's kind of what has led us to where I am today, talking with Johnny Tan on his incredible radio show. <laughs> Thank you. That's fantastic. I want to go back to the martial arts. Did you ever get back uh-huh. to into martial arts again? I didn't. Well, I studied Tai Chi for quite a while. So let's see. I got my mm-hmm. second degree in 1990. Mm-hmm. I think it was 1990. And then I started studying Tai Chi, and I studied Tai Chi and practiced Tai Chi. I actually became a Tai Chi master where I actually had students under me. And mm-hmm. um, then I kind of – I think I, I was actually pretty active in Tai Chi until – probably 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. And, I, and then mm-hmm. my life changed again. I mean, I, I became more involved in doing my peacemaking work. And so that it, so I, I, you know, that phase of my life was over with. And so I, I left it behind. But, you know, the thing about martial arts is, even though I'm not an active practitioner, this stuff is inside me. So I know that if, and for example, that's why doing the prison work has never bothered me. Um, right. I know that if somebody tried to jump me, that that stuff's in me, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's it's just you know it's just under the surface, and don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, I may not be as fast and as strong at sixty-seven as I was when I was in my thirty forties and thirties, but it's there. And in fact, right. I may be even be more effective because I'm wiser and right. can move my body in more efficient ways. So, right. and the martial arts training, you know, obviously. Got me out. Eventually, led me out of the law, but it also led me into onto a spiritual path, which uh, mm-hmm. was really interesting. How that, all of that developed, which you know, when, and once I left the practice of the law, I was all of a sudden had this incredible experience of having an integrated life, where every, mm-hmm. my personal practices, my personal life, my spiritual life, and my professional life were all integrated, mm-hmm. and that was an amazing experience to have. Because as a lawyer, oftentimes you your life as a lawyer does not is not consistent with or integrated with how you might actually believe as a human being or how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> the reason why I asked you that is because I'm a master of Tang Sudo. Oh, you are. Oh, excellent. Yes, I'm not a practicing master either. My take on it is that people like you and I. When we get to that level, and we do it, obviously, like you said, you taught for a few years and so forth, because we get to, and I'm sure all the grandmasters are going to kill me for saying this. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) There's there's a little integration there because the concept of the yin and the yang, the external and internal, what you and I have experienced through the discipline of the inside, we finally find the true meaning of that absolutely that, well stated and so, that's correct so we are able to integrate back and forth fairly easy and it's about living life in general that's right now having said that that's there's right. nothing wrong for a grandmaster to have 25 schools all over the country and all that kind of stuff because that's a vocation right that they choose 
And so that's, right. that's and, the and, and and in fact, without the grandmasters, you and I wouldn't be where we are today. Precisely. So, precisely. I mean, I, I have I have eternal gratitude to all of my teachers, and I've had some right. amazing teachers. Yeah. Um, but my path is not teaching martial arts. My path is serving precisely. humanity as a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Precisely. But it contributed to that concept. I can just feel the energy when you were young. You obviously fairly, when I say aggressive, you're not that you're out there ready to kick somebody, but you were just fairly aggressive. You got a lot of energy and exactly. so forth. Sense of confidence that goes with it. And obviously you are very astute and sharp, but it's all external. And so your master was able to see that and said, hey, look, it's all about brute strength. You can win, but there will come a <laughs> right. point in time you're going to run right. into the halt and you're going to get <laughs> your butt pounded. That's, That's right. right. Exactly. That's right. And, so it's and, a, and it was especially moving into the more contemplative type of mm-hmm. Tai Chi practice where you're right, right, where you have to go inside. It's no mm-hmm. longer you know, being fast and hard. It's being, yes. well, as I said, soft and vulnerable to be strong and right. powerful. And that mm-hmm. was a huge transformation for me. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right about that. Yeah. So, and, 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 and I don't know what it is about that that makes that experience so profound. You've obviously been through it. We've both been through it. But it's a yes. very profound, life-changing experience that, that mm-hmm. until you actually go through it, it's, it's really difficult to describe. So I'm really grateful that you're talking about this because it's, it's not something that I'm able to talk to with people very much. <laughs> but you, you obviously understand deeply. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. why I'm grateful yes. for you. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. At any given job that we have or vocation that we have, sometimes there are things that we do, what I uh, like to use the analogy of what you do off the court is much more important than what you do in court. And here, whether it's a basketball yep. court or the field or whatever you want to call it, right. exactly. because exactly. that's where you enrich from inside. And because of that enrichment, you're going to be extremely potent in court. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, people mm-hmm. people think, oh, my God, how could you ever do all? I mean, how could I ever all do this? You've done so much and you've, you've accomplished so much. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I haven't. All I've done – well, the first thing I did is I got rid of my television set 20 years ago. <laughs> so I don't have a television. <laughs> but but really, it's just paying attention and saying, okay, what's next? And never being mm-hmm. afraid of being a beginner. Right, right. And I'm constantly a beginner at something. Always that humble place of not knowing. There is a transition in your path, in the process. Think about it from the analogy of martial arts. Mm-hmm. When you were just aggressive and you thinking three is not enough, I know I'm fast enough. I ignore them because I was thinking that I could just take them down four or five. There will come right. a point in time, like I say, you're going to reach your max. Maybe the eighth person, <laughs> that's it. you're just not exactly. that fast, that kind of thing. But what happens now in the sense that you weren't paying attention to them. It's irrelevant whether they kick me or not because that's not right. the point. But now as you right. kind of learning the Tai Chi method, I say disrespectfully as we get older, as we mature, then we realize that right after they deliver that first move on their end, we know that they are vulnerable and that's where we take advantage of it. That's the right. difference. So right. that right. makes you to be very effective in court, basically, in a trial, because you're actually waiting. I mean, I can present my case. They can present their case. But what am I looking for? For them to slip a little something that I can exploit for the kill. Right, right, right. And, but, and that, was a, that was the way I used to think about things. But right. today, yeah. I, look, I, look at, I look at the world very differently. I say, oh, we've yeah. got conflict here. What yeah. is 
what what are the paths out of this conflict that the, that will provide healing and mm-hmm. provide satisfaction and provide resolution with people not having to compromise anything? I tell people right. in my mediations, I said, if you're compromising, you're making a big mistake. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are ways of resolving conflicts that do not require compromise. And so that's a very different way of looking at the world than the way I looked at the world, say, 25 or 30 years ago. And, you know, and that I think that's called growing up, <laughs> you know, maturing <laughs> and having enough life experience to be able to see things from a broader perspective than, than maybe I, I did when I was a young trial lawyer. So I understand. Anyway. Very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Douglas Knoll. He is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker specializing in difficult, complex, and intractable conflicts. Douglas is an award-winning author of three books, and he and I are having a wonderful conversation about his latest book, De-Escalate, How to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. So, Doug, claiming that you're able to really stop an angry person in 90 seconds, that's a very bold move in a way. How it exactly is. do you do that? All right. So, Johnny, what I need you to do is take out a mm-hmm. piece of paper and a pen, and I'm going to okay. give you the three steps. And All there's right. going to be a quiz afterwards. All right? Oh, so you've got to pay attention. Because <laughs> I'm a law professor. I can't help myself. Uh-uh. All right. Okay. Here, here it so, so I'm going to I'm going to talk about how you do it, what the, the real steps are, and then we can talk a little bit about why it works the way that it does, because there's hard mm-hmm. science behind hard neuroscience behind what this does. Sure. So, step number one: you're confronted with somebody who's really angry, and let's take the worst situation, not maybe not potentially violent, but there's somebody who's in your face, shouting at you, screaming at you, cussing at you, telling you what a jerk you are, what an idiot you are. I mean, this person is really upset and really laying into you. And your typical normal reaction would be to either fight back or to run away or just avoid this person. That's the typical response when you're untrained. (laughs) So here's a different way of of managing that and managing yourself. The first thing you're going to do with that person is you're going to ignore their words. Whatever they're saying is just noise. Ignore it. Mm -hmm. Don't pay any attention to it. Don't put any meaning on it. They're just making a whole bunch. There's just a whole bunch of vibrations in the air that are blowing past you and mean nothing to you. Mm. So ignore the words. Because if you don't ignore the words, you're going to get escalated yourself. And now you're in trouble. So number one, ignore the words. Step number Mm -hmm. two, this person's really emotional and upset. So your job now is to guess at what those emotions might be. And it could be anger, frustration, anxiety, shame, humiliation, fear, disrespect, not being listened to. Uh, could be sadness, grief, all kinds of stuff going on. Guess mm-hmm. at what you think this person is feeling in the moment. And then the third step, and this is the secret sauce, is to reflect back or state back what you think the speaker's emotions are using a very simple you statement. So I would say, hey, Johnny, you're really angry right now. You're really frustrated. You're really pissed off. You're enraged, in fact, because nobody's listening to you. You feel completely unsupported. And you suffered this deep and abiding injustice. And actually, you're a little afraid that, you know, you might be left alone and abandoned and you're left having to do all of this stuff yourself with no support. And that's really upsetting and frustrating to you. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's how you de-escalate. So you reflect back the emotions. Notice I did not use any I statements, mm-hmm. and I did not ask any questions. I didn't say, hey, Johnny, are you angry? And I didn't mm-hmm. say, hey, Johnny, what I think you're feeling is anger. Yeah, I think you're angry. No I statements, no questions. And when you do that, you're going to watch for four involuntary reactions from this person who's really upset. You're going to watch for a nod of the head up and down. Yes. You're going to be looking for a verbal response. Typically, it'll be, depending on the circumstances, it'll be pretty, pretty loud. It'll be, yeah, or exactly, (laughs) something like that. Mm -hmm. You're going to be looking for a dropping of the shoulders, and you're going to be looking for a big sigh, all unconscious. When you get those four unconscious reactions, you have successfully de-escalated this person. And you can stop. And it takes between 45 and 90 seconds to do this. And the reason that it takes this is because that's how our brains are hardwired. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch of science around why this works the way that it does. It is totally counterintuitive to everything we ever thought we knew about listening and everything we ever thought we knew about human behavior and everything we ever thought we knew about emotions. It turns out that as neuroscience slowly unravels how our brains work, that we are finding out that our assumptions around human behavior and what it means to be human are completely the opposite of what we've been taught and trained and what Western culture has taught and trained us over the last two, two to 3,000 years. All wrong. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. really wrong. And mm-hmm. so as we begin to use neuroscience to start thinking about what are the interventions we can use that will really help another person's brain process this information, we begin to realize that the old way of doing things was not only wrong, it was really abusive and didn't help. The new way of doing things is healing, but more importantly, it's effective. It works every Mm -hmm. single time because every single human brain on the planet is hardwired the same way and will Mm -hmm. respond to this type of, it's called affect labeling, this kind of affect labeling, and can't help itself. People can't help themselves because you're not talking to to them in their prefrontal cortex. You're talking to them at a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. And they will respond Mm -hmm. to this, they will respond to this Automatically, because they have to. They can't. They can't. They can't. They can't choose not to. Right. That's the power of it, this. It's an involuntary reaction from them that they have no control. Correct. Of because you, they have no control over it. That's correct. And it's fascinating. I, I'm glad you brought all this sequence up. I mean, I'm looking from the other side of the equation. Like to say, I'm angry. What I need is I need to be heard. If that's you give right. Me you need to be validated. I need the validation on why I feel the way I feel. That's all I need. Now, there are exceptions to the rule where I might be a psychopath or anything like that, but in under normal circumstances, all I need is just give me the time, give me that moment to express myself. And if you allow me to express myself, then everything cools down. For like Bertrand too, I guess in a way, I'm looking for respect. I want to be heard. Everybody has a need to be heard. I call this listening people into existence because Mm -hmm. what I have found and what we all experience is there are very few times when somebody really takes the time to listen to us in a very deep way. Yes, Very rare experience. And when you start learning how to listen to other people into existence, whether it's your little two-year-old child or your elderly grandparents or Mm -hmm. your anybody, when you start listening people into existence, they light up and they transform. Right, and it's amazing right. to watch, and it's su- it's such a beautiful, incredible gift to give. It's so precious, such a precious gift. Listening people into existence, so easy to give. It costs us nothing to do it, 
And all we but have to see, do is learn how to do it. We know it already, believe it or not, Doc. If you think about it, I'm glad you brought up you know, kids, okay? Kids live in the present moment. I guarantee That's right. you, when you talk to any kids, they look at you right in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> they listen to you because they think you're God or they're fairy godmother, godfather. <laughs> right, 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 right. They put you on the spot. But what happens is as we get older, we get into the situation where we listen in anticipation to reply, but not listening to learn. So that's totally that's different. right. And so when we are and and what we what we what we we train ourselves not to listen for emotions. This is called emotional mm-hmm. invalidation. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this a lot in the book. So so for example, when I'm a little boy and I skin my knee, what am I told? I'm told, don't cry. Mm-hmm. Be a man. Oh, it doesn't hurt so much. Oh, you'll get over it. Oh, it's not a big deal. In other words, my emotional experience in that moment of, of pain, discomfort, and maybe fear, and w- those emotions that are floating through me are now, I'm told they're bad. I'm, mm-hmm. to- I'm oh, told not to important. minimize they're really my not important. Emo- they're not important. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what happens later in life? I'm, I'm fed this emotional invalidation for all through childhood. And then now I want to have a re- I'm 15 years old and I want to have a relationship with that cute girl over there. <laughs> if I don't understand if I have had no practice in emotional in managing emotions, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. And that's why we have so much the the Kaiser Permanente Foundation has studied this over the last 10 years and it has demonstrated that it, when we emotionally invalidate children as mm-hmm. we do, we all do because we don't know any better. The outcomes in life later on are horrible. Obesity, addiction, cancer, uh, pulmonary disease, uh, heart disease. The the medical outcomes later in life that plague people are mostly all caused Mm -hmm. by the emotional trauma of emotional invalidation at two and three years old. There's a direct Mm -hmm. link. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to have build healthy families and healthy children, and we want to have peaceful lives, then we need to learn how to change that by instead of invalidating a child when he falls over and skins his knees, he says, oh, Johnny, you you just yeah. scraped your knee. That hurts. You're hurting right now. It hurts. And, right. and you're angry and a little embarrassed that you fell over, and you feel, you know, you feel frustrated, and <laughs> you want the pain to go away, and you know, you you don't feel like you're being supported right now. Right. You do right. that to a you do that to a two year old and do it every day or every three days until that child's six years old. You will have an amazing six year old. That's right. I tell right. I, I teach people I teach people that if you want to you can teach a two year old how not you can deal with two year old tantrums, and you can you can within three months they will never have a tantrum again if you simply listen to their emotions. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. that. Again, that's the kind of thing that a lot of times we are not aware of. I think a lot of parents or anyone for that matter in any conflict situation you're not aware of because we have the tendency of who wants to have the higher ground. If you yell at me, I want to be able to yell at you even louder. That's right. That's right. Well, think about why people yell at each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so we start talking, and then we start getting animated, and then I start yelling, and then you start yelling. Why do we mm-hmm. yell? It's an unconscious response to not being heard. 
So right. if he's not listening to me, I got to raise my voice because if I raise my voice, then maybe he'll hear me. Right. That's why right. people yell at each other. It's simply an right. indicator that they're not being heard. Right. If you validate that and say, okay, hey, I'm sorry, I realize that I'm really not hearing you, and all of a sudden, or I say, moment, even better than that, even better than that, I said, oh man, Johnny, you're really angry. You're really frustrated. You're not being listened to right now, and that is really that is really getting you upset. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. boom, you're going to calm right. down for all these mm-hmm. for all these biological reasons, and in addition, because you're being listened to at a deep level, your needs being met. And so, why do you why do you need a shout if your needs are being met? That's right. That's Don't need right. to. So right. calm down in about forty five to ninety seconds. You know, what's interesting, what you mentioned, and I know we talk about martial arts a little bit earlier. Right. One of the things that I taught people is that I can be down on my knees, but yet I'm still over you. There's a certain amount of humbleness, and yet there's a certain amount of arrogance. And what I was trying to get across is that just because I'm the big, 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 big guy, <laughs> I don't have to come across <laughs> as the big guy. It doesn't matter. Because uh, so I know what I can and cannot do. I, it's a, I it's a matter of what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's it is about ego. Yeah. And yeah. so so when we feel like we have to be the big guy, mm-hmm. then that's our ego talking, and the mm-hmm. ego is fragile. When we engage in this process of affect labeling, where we ignore the words, guess at the emotions, and reflect back the emotions. We move into this, you'll, you'll totally get this, we move, you actually move into a transcendent state of egolessness, mm-hmm. where you are, it's a Zen oneness. And mm-hmm. in that moment, when I'm listening to you at the deep emotional level, there's no room in my brain for ego, there's no room for anything other than me to be pre- immediately present with you in the moment. And then I get uplifted into a state of transcendent, spir- a, a transcendent spiritual state. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's powerful. And I'm there for about 15 or 20 seconds. And in that 15 or 20 seconds, nothing can touch me mm-hmm. because I'm no longer ego me. I am transcendent super me, high me, one, right. one me, higher, higher soul me. And in that moment, I have, I'm totally grounded. I'm all powerful. And yet I'm also totally compassionate because there's no mm-hmm. ego. Mm-hmm. And this happens mm-hmm. every single time you affect label somebody. I stumbled mm-hmm. on this by accident and began to realize, and I linked it back to my martial arts training and my spiritual practice and contemplative practice and realized mm-hmm. that we spend all this time learning how to meditate or do yoga or do tai chi or whatever <laughs> in order to, to reach this transcendent state, right? Well, here, <laughs> and, and, and maybe we get there and maybe we don't in contemplative practice, right. but here was all of a sudden a technique that I had developed that not only calmed things down, but it was a spiritual practice for me. Every time right. I was able to calm somebody down, every time I can calm somebody down, I move into a place of oneness. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Without mm-hmm. meditating or doing anything else. Whoa, that's awesome. You were able to switch back and forth very easily and not even realizing it. And those are the kind of things I'm talking about where there's that's sort right. of a natural training that just happens naturally. Right. From a third-party standpoint of view, a person standing on the side might say, he just got clobbered, and that's not true. <laughs> and that's, that's where right. the, the concept of, you know, like right. I can be down on my knees, but I'm still over you because it's irrelevant. That's right. Somebody's got to take control of the situation, and you can call it from a brute standpoint of view that person is winning. No, it's not about winning and losing. It's about getting to the deeper understanding about we are one 
soul in itself, so to speak, the spirit exactly. speaking to each other. Exactly. Exactly. And so we and we can. So these are all high level philosophical Mm -hmm. and spiritual ideas that spiritual teachers have been talking about for thousands of years. But but here now is is a process that we can use that not only creates peace, it not only deescalates an angry human being, but it gives you the opportunity to feel to experience that transcendence of who you really are as a being, as a soul being for about 15 or 20 seconds every time Mm -hmm. you do this. Did you experience an epiphany in your journey in life that there was a point in time on a personal experience level that something flipped and then you realized, oh, my God. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) And I chased that epiphany for Uh a long time. Uh Oh, Uh I want the light bulb to go on. Yeah. And no, it never it never I never had some huge enlightenment. My wife had a big enlightenment moment many years ago, which changed her yeah. life. But I never yeah. had that experience. What happened to me was a very slow transformation. And mm-hmm. th- then when I look back on my life, like where I'm sitting today and looking back and say, you know, mm-hmm. there was never any one defining moment. But what has happened is. I have right. been slowly evolving to this place. And now I look back and I say, oh, I see why this all happened. Right. It, it all happened to lead me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And I would have never gotten here had I not made all those mistakes in the past mm-hmm. and done all those stupid st- all those stupid things. It, <laughs> I, I had to go through this process. And it was painful. But there was no mm-hmm. wake-up call. It was just next, 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 next. And I, as long as I kept my foot on the, feet on the path and kept climbing up the mountain, I, eventually I got there. And it wasn't like I was transported there in some big beam of light. Beam me up, Scotty. It didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. It happened through slow, gradual growth, which is interesting because that's what my teachers always told me. They said, you don't want the instant transformation because it, you'll, never, you'll, you'll never recover from it. It'll wreck your life. Right. You need to do this slowly. And, of course, back in the... When I was younger, I said, no, I want it right now. Give me, take me, bring me, I want more, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And then I, then I learned that they, my teachers were right. The slow yeah. way is the fast way. Isn't that what yeah. Bruce Lee used to say, you know, to go fast, yeah. go slow. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly true. Well, if you want permanent change, something that will stick with you, it is a gradual process. And not only that, it's the journey because you're experiencing it. That's right. Because somewhere along the line, to be a teacher, you want to be able to be exposed to everything. So now when you speak, as you're doing right now, you are an experiential teacher. That's right. That's right. So we have, that's called wisdom. And it comes mm-hmm. from experience and it comes from reflecting on what, 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 what have I learned? You know, and mm-hmm. what mistakes have I made? And how can I, and then thinking about reflecting on the idea, how can I share this with other people in a way that they can get it? They can get it faster than I did and make their own mistakes, mm-hmm. but not make the same mistakes I made. They'll make a whole different set of mistakes, but they will now have some tools that will allow them to make their mistakes at a higher level. And they will transcend me, and they will move faster than me, which is great. That's the whole idea. How does your process work for, say, someone? And this is quite interesting. You may have already encountered this in your prison project, where people come from a community where I do need to be that pit bull. Because if I'm that little Dutson, I get walk all over. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Exactly correct. So uh, it it has been amazing how it has worked in prisons. Once you Mm -hmm. uh, Some of the people I've worked with, 
I worked with two men in particular out of mm-hmm. thousands who were both co-founders of the Aryan Brotherhood. And they're in mm-hmm. their 60s. They're probably not getting out of prison. Extraordinarily right. violent lives when they were younger mm-hmm. men. And um, But as, uh, as they learned these skills, they said, this is the most amazing stuff I've ever learned in my life. And now they become powerful, powerful peacemakers in their prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the we see the transformation over a period of months, and uh, not everybody gets it, but almost everybody gets it. And we're dealing with when you're working in prison in a prison population, whether it's a men's prison or a women's prison. The women are actually more difficult to work with than the men. Um, but what you're getting is that you know you have a huge huge spectrum of cognitive capacity, educational mm-hmm. ability, learning ability. Mental mental acuity, mental stability, from the very mentally ill to the you know to people who are just you know are in prison because of mm-hmm. all kinds of problems. You also right. learn that that most the vast majority of people that are in prison had were incredibly abused as children. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. m- babies are not born as murderers. Right. Babies are not born rapists. Babies are not born as serial child molesters. Right, They're right. trained to be that. Mm-hmm. They're trained mm-hmm. to be violent by the way, mm-hmm. by their upbringing and by, um, and by their experience. They're programmed. Mm-hmm. We, program, we program criminals. And so you learn that. You hear some really horrible stories about their upbringing. You say, well, no wonder you're in prison. I mean, you know, nobody was there for you. Right. You didn't have any proper training and you, you, know, you became reactive and killed five people. Totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that doesn't excuse what they've done or make make it any easier for the sure. victim survivors but but at least we have understanding but even in the and i would say not even in despite all of that when we train these inmates how to listen and de-escalate amazing things start to happen um if people want to get a sense of how powerful this is uh, they can go mm-hmm. on youtube and and just go to youtube and or you can just go to google and type in pop p-o-p mediators speak pop pop mediators speak watch that youtube video nine minutes long we 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 put it together in 2012 and it's the women Mm -hmm. some of the women we've trained in at valley state prison for women which is now closed it's a different prison now i'm talking about the power of deep listening and the impact that it's had on their lives and on the lives of other inmates around them really 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 powerful testimony to um what I'm teaching and talking about. Pop Mediators Speak, YouTube video. Fantastic. That's wonderful. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast uh, available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Douglas Knoll. He is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker specializing in difficult, complex, and intractable conflicts. Duck is an award-winning author of three books, and he and I are having a wonderful conversation about his latest book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Why is one's self-awareness critical in any conflict, Duck? Well, if you, if you, are, if you don't become self-aware, then you are going to become a slave to emotional reactivity. Whatever your programming has been in the past about how to respond to conflict is the programming that's going to kick in. And if you're not self-aware about that, that programming may be good, 
but more likely than not, it's going to be bad. And so you're going to be you're going to be a slave to your, your reactivity. And in most cases, for most people, that means the outcome is going to get worse, not better. When you become self-aware, emotionally self-aware, then what happens is you have a chance to recognize, hey, I'm really pissed off right now. And then you have mm-hmm. the next chance to say, well, I have a choice. I can punch this guy out or I can w- walk away or I can de-escalate him and me and we can maybe do some problems. You have choices in front of you. If you're not self-aware, your choices become constricted to whatever your programming has been in the past. And mm-hmm. that, that can lead anywhere from a breakdown in a, in a relationship to ending, ending up in prison, like a lot of the people I mm-hmm. work with, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, where that became very difficult. So, so that's why self-awareness is really important. Now, the problem is that for all the people that talk about emotional self-awareness and talk about emotional intelligence, I haven't found anybody yet who really has good tools for learning how to become self-aware. Right. And what I've learned, what I've learned is that when you teach people how to become aware of other people's emotions, so if I taught you, Johnny, how to affect label, how to ignore the words, pay attention to the emotions, then reflect the emotions back, when you can do that for another person, you are reprogramming your brain to become mm-hmm. more self-aware of your own emotions. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how it works. So it works you literally are reprogramming and teaching yourself. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And so that's that's why this has become so – so we teach emotional intelligence backwards. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the, using listening techniques, using these listening skills, we can literally reprogram our own brains and learn how to de-escalate ourselves because we become more self-aware of our own emotional experience. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of science behind this, why this happens. Um, people want to – if people are interested, take a look at the work of Matthew Lieberman, who is a now a, now at Harvard, he was at UCLA, and Lisa mm-hmm. Feldman Barrett, who is at Northeastern University in Boston, just wrote a beautiful book about emotions. And um, it's kind of heavy going, but it's written, it's accessible to lay people if you're willing to take mm-hmm. the time to read it. And they mm-hmm. explain the science behind why the, all this is. Because the stuff that I do is all based on science. I don't do anything unless they're, or teach anything unless there's science right. behind it that explains why it is that the skill works the way that it does. Otherwise, we're just dealing on myth and anecdote, and we don't know whether it works. So, right. so, the, the, so the theoretical frameworks have to be in place in order to be able to teach something effective. Um, anyways, so that's, that's the importance of self-awareness. And, we, and we, need to, we should really be training our children in this, and what we teach them is by helping them reflect their own feelings. If I reflect the feelings of a two-year-old over the course of a year, Pretty soon mm-hmm. that child is going to learn how to modulate his own feelings because he's going to say, oh, I'm really upset right now. And he'll start making choices. It won't happen overnight, but over right. the course of a year or two, it will. What I see from that is you've got to know your strength and your weaknesses. So as you know that, then you know how to apply yourself. Human nature has a natural tendency of survival. So That's right. knowing yourself you know what works and what doesn't work. It's the old sort of a cliche thing. You know when to hold, when to fall, when to walk well, away. That's right. <laughs> right. And that comes, that comes with practice because one of the things we have, again, if, we have an untra- if we're untrained in this stuff, mm-hmm. then our egos are going to want to shy away from that, our weaknesses and where we tend to have blind spots. Our ego is going to just ignore that. Oh, don't pay attention to that. Don't look at that curtain. Don't you don't, you know, ignore that curtain, ignore that little man behind the curtain there, right? <laughs> you know, and, and we only emphasize what our strengths are and we tend not to focus on our weaknesses. And the other problem that we have as 
unless we're engaged in the Zen of being a beginner all the time, the humility right. of being a beginner is that as adults, we don't like to feel incompetent. And mm-hmm. so we shy away from learning new experiences or learning new skills because it's painful to be a beginner. And that's why I always make it a point of being a beginner at something right. so that I never forget what it's the humility of not being good at something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, of course, is that you practice that. You practice that always being a beginner at something, and you you just keep that stuff. And over a lifetime, you <laughs> accumulate a lot of skill. <laughs> you know, if well, I listed off all the different things that I've mastered, you, you'd be blown mm-hmm. away. And people are blown away. <laughs> How do you do that? And I said, I just always want to be a beginner at something. And eventually, I'm not a beginner anymore. Eventually, I'm a master. And now i got to find something else to be a beginner at. Right. But you made a conscious choice to be a student. That's right. See? And, right. and we are students, and we chose at what point we want to get off the train, so to speak, and so that's a conscious decision. How do that's we right. apply your concept to today's polarized political arena? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing we have to recognize is that we do not have any good role models out there to teach us mm-hmm. how to do this work. It mm-hmm. seems that our political environment has come to a place where politicians are getting elected on the basis of dividing us, of scaring us, of forcing us into corners, and scaring the crap out of us that if we don't believe the way they do, then the whole world's going to fall apart. And that seems to be a common theme. So we have to, I've, I've, I've concluded that if we want to have civility back in our lives, and we want to live lives where we can tolerate and be with people who are ideologically very different than us, we have to take that into our own hands. But there's some skills we have to learn to do this. Uh, For example, supposing you're sitting down at the holiday table, and you got Uncle Ben, who is ideologically as radically different from you as you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And in years past, Ben has a couple of glasses of wine or a couple of whiskeys, and all of a sudden he's getting very strident and very argumentative. And pretty pretty soon, you know, the holiday conversation is shouting across the table. You're right. No, you're right. No, that's fake news. No, I, you know, all this stuff. Well, there's a different way to handle this now. And, and let me just suggest this. So that if you're going to have this conversation with Uncle Ben, the first thing is you have to recognize that you're going to be the adult no matter what. Second, your needs don't need to be met right now. Third, it doesn't matter whether your your beliefs are validated or not. What you want to do is create a place to try to understand Uncle Ben a little better. So I would start the conversation this way. Say, say Uncle Ben, so tell me about all the life experiences that you've had that led you to the beliefs that you have today. How did, you, how did your life lead you to these beliefs? Mm-hmm. Where they, what, what in your life – tell me about your life and how it came to your beliefs. And so that's going to open up a whole new story. Now Ben is no longer defensive. He said, oh, well, of course, let me tell you all about my life. Now, guess what? Somebody's listening. I'm listing him into existence, right? right? So I'm right. listening to him, ethic labeling, and he's telling me all about his life experiences that led him to where he is today. I learn a right. lot from that. What right. I learned most importantly is we have a lot more in common than we have in difference. Then the next question I might ask is, so tell me how your beliefs guide your everyday life. How do they help you navigate your life? Because that's all beliefs are. Beliefs are simply mm-hmm. little heuristics, little rules that we use to help us make quick to fast decisions so we don't have to ponder everything with logic and reasoning. How do your beliefs help you in your life? How do they help mm-hmm. you navigate what's going on? 
How many people have been asked that question before? Now all of a sudden yeah. Ben has to think about, huh, no one's ever asked me that before. I don't know. So how do my beliefs help me? And now he's got to, you know, if he's going to engage, he's got to answer that question. Third question, how do you, how do you personally navigate a society where people's beliefs are different than yours? How do you mm-hmm. deal with people who have different beliefs than you do? What 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 are your strategies for dealing with them? No one's ever been asked that question before either. And then the last question, right. which is the more provocative one, is how do you think as a community or as a society or even as a family, we should deal with the fact that many many people have different beliefs that clash with each other? How should we manage that? How should mm-hmm. we go about being with each other? What should our society or our rules look like for dealing with different beliefs? Hey, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, I got my beliefs, but maybe I need to be thinking about how, what do I, what's really important to me? Mm-hmm. And notice that in all four of those questions, I never once asked him what his beliefs were. I never once tried to change his belief. I didn't try to persuade him or right. argue or right. provide facts that contradict his beliefs. I was not really interested in his beliefs at all. I was more interested in who he was as a human being and how his beliefs were formed and how those right. beliefs operate in his daily life. When you have that kind of conversation with the politically polarized, you learn that you have 98% of everything you have is in common, and there's only a 2% difference, and that 2% difference is pretty meaningless. Right. And the polarization goes away. I agree with that. And what's interesting about it is that I'm coming in from, say, an immigrant standpoint because I came to the United States when I was 18 to go to college, and basically this is home for me right now. But I agree what Mm -hmm. you're talking about because environment – creates a person we talk about just now early in the show dna only goes up to so far and then environment create the person who you are and who you're going to be in and so in the process of being engaged with that kind of a dialogue i want to be educated from a standpoint of how did that person get to that point because there you go he is right in feeling the way he feel that's right because he went through that journey, which I didn't go through. No, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And who am I to judge him for his beliefs or her beliefs when right. I have not gone through that journey? And so what I need to do is learn more about what that journey was and is mm-hmm. and will be. Mm-hmm. Right. And that gives right. me the basis for understanding and compassion and, and, and tolerance. Mm-hmm. And that's so the kind true. of conversation we have to have. And the problem is that if you look at what that conversation <laughs> looks like and what it would feel like, and then look at what our political leaders are doing, you see something completely yeah. different. Sure. Which is wrong. Sure. In my opinion, it's morally, morally wrong and it's morally despicable because power to them is important. What happens to them, winning is everything. And I right. am never wrong. I have to be right all the time. And that's not that's what right. the concept is. That's right. And so that's right. it's so true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading De-Escalate? I, I want people to, to learn how to listen each other into existence. Mm-hmm. I want them to have, create a whole new, a very, with a very simple transformation, a very simple flipping of the way we look at the world. I want people to realize that our emo- we, what defines us as human beings is that we're emotional, not rational. There are no other animals on the on the planet that have emotions. There are a lot of animals that have affect, but no one has emotion. No, no species have emotions. It's emotions that create our us. It creates our relationships. It creates our social structure. We are 100% emotional, and we have a little bit of bounded rationality that 
bumps in every now and then. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, all wrong. Descartes, wrong. And mm-hmm. anybody who goes around saying that human beings are the Spockian idea of existence, where, where there is no emotion, um, they're wrong. And it's abusive. Mm-hmm. And what we have to learn is to embrace the fact that we are emotional beings and develop as much competency in in developing and managing our emotional experiences as we spend in science and technology and education and math, right? Because <laughs> we can't even begin to do STEM education until we're emotionally intelligent, until we learn right. how to do that. And the simplest way to do that and the fastest way to do that is through this process of affect labeling that I teach in the book, De-Escalate. Sure. How to listen to another person's emotional experience without getting upset yourself. Very simple technique, very simple skill, very elegant, profound, profound transformative effects. I love the book. It's very well written. And one of the things also I do want to emphasize to everyone, and I say this respectfully because don't think about like, oh my gosh, for me to be able to learn everything, I got to have a PhD and so forth. It's got nothing no. to do with all that. This is just no. being you, being human. the average That's human right. being. That's it. That's right. That's right. I got an offer for your listeners that I want to put out there. <laughs> so you can get this book anywhere. You can get this book in Amazon, Barnes Noble, whatever. Here's the deal that I'm making with people, that your audience. I, will mm-hmm. buy the, I, Doug Knoll, will buy the book on Amazon for you and send it to you if you're willing to pay the shipping. Seven bucks for shipping. You can check it out. Um, typically on Amazon, the book right now is 17, it's 12 bucks, but then you add in the five bucks shipping and handling all mm-hmm. it's 17 bucks. If you pay seven bucks, which covers Amazon shipping and handling costs, I will buy the book for you and ship it to you. So you get the book for free. That's how badly I want you to have this book. <laughs> and here's how you do that. You go to my website, dougnoll.com, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. Click on the banner. It'll take you to the order page. You can read all about the book if you want. Mm-hmm. Click on the order page, put in put in all your stuff, your credit card. It's 100% secure site, no problems. And um, you'll get charged 7 bucks, and in three days, Amazon will deliver the book to you. How's that for a deal? Can't beat that. And it's Can't the perfect time for the holidays. That's right. This is it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a quick read. It'll take you three or four hours to read the book. Um, and... Uh, Practice the skills in low social risk environments. So do not start off with angry people when you do this. Do this <laughs> with Starbucks baristas. Tell your Starbucks barista, hey, you look really happy this morning. Hey, man, you're really excited. Do it with the grocery clerks. Do it with people, servers and restaurants. Low risk social situations where if you make a mistake, you're not going to be humiliated or shamed. <laughs> do that for a couple of weeks before you t- try taking on the really hardcore stuff. You can there affect you label your dog too. Dogs love to be affect labeled. Oh, doggy, you look so happy today, and dog wags your tail. You know, so dogs are really good. Don't do it with your kids. Don't do it with your spouse. Not until you've done some practicing. There you Gain go. Gain confidence. So don't, true. Yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> Fantastic. We're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yeah, I, I say this especially to younger people. You know, it's not about, I know in the beginning of life, you get out, of, you're in school, or you're getting out of school, and it's all about making a killing and making a million bucks and whatever. And But let me tell you something. You may think that, and I know I was told this, and I didn't believe it either, but if you really want true happiness in your life, follow your heart and have some courage. And if you follow your heart and have some courage, you will go down some really weird, twisty paths. But at the end of the day, you're going to look back and say, wow, what an amazing journey that was. 
If you don't do that and you follow the path that somebody else sets for you, society sets out for you, it says you have to have a job and you have to do this and you have to do that, you might get to that point, but it might take you 30 years to realize, hey, you know what I really got to do now is follow my heart. Mm-hmm. And so so the key, the key to happiness, in my perspective, is to not get sucked into the societal shoulds, but to, to say, this is where my real passion is. And if your passion is playing saxophone in downtown San Francisco on a street corner, then that's what you should be doing. Until you figure out that that isn't your passion and you'll do something else. Right. Um, and I know there's a certain pragma- pragmatism that has to attach to all this, and there are consequences to our choices. But at the end of the day, had I not said yes to Susan Russo, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't be working in all these prisons around the world teaching inmates how to be peacemakers and having that incredible, humbling experience of of, of working in maximum security prisons, watching people who are tossed away by society turn into brilliant mediators and peacemakers, powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have the courage to say yes. And um, that's the key to life, the courage to say yes. Yes, I'm going to do this. It's all it takes. Doesn't take brains. Doesn't take brains. Doesn't take anything other than just a commitment to yourself, a commitment to your passion, your heart. What's interesting, Doug? That's a beautiful recipe for living. And what you're telling me is the heart creates, the mind formulates on how to get there. That's right. That's exactly beautiful. correct. Beautiful. Well, Doug, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending the hour with me on from my mama's kitchen talk regular. It has been a true pleasure. Oh, thank you again, and thank have you, a blessed day. All right, Wonderful. you too. Take care. Thank okay. you again, Doug. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, November 21st. My guest will be Anna Rimaldi. She is an internationally known spiritual counselor and medium and the host of Messages of Heaven on Cox Radio. Anna and I will be having a conversation about her latest book, She Channeled from the Virgin Mary, titled Conversations with Mary, Messages of Love, healing, hope, and unity for everyone. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Bye-bye. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. All right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.